Welcome to episode 232 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Andrew Swafford. And Jessica Carr. And in today's episode, we will be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we will be continuing our Jackie Chan series with 2001's Rush Hour 2. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week. We're going to cover a few movies and then deal with some uh, uh, listener stuff. <laughs> housekeeping. Housekeeping. We'll that. That's the word I was looking for. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> housekeeping. We're going to deal with some listener housekeeping afterwards. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to lead off with you. You have a new release that is in yeah. theaters now uh, that you caught this week. Yeah, that movie is Destroyer. Um, this was a movie that I missed at TIFF because it played one of the days I wasn't able to stick around. Uh, but it was one that I was really looking forward to. It's directed by Karen Kusama, who made Jennifer's Body and The Invitation. Um, starring Nicole Kidman, um, who has been uh, uh, really profoundly made up in this movie uh, to look like she's been through hell. She's got some serious dark circles under her eyes, some cracked lips. She has a very bad wig with a lot of gray hairs in it. Um, she is. This is a cop movie. She is playing a cop that has seen some shit or done some shit, uh, but... The shit that she has seen or done is mostly kept a secret from you in this movie. And that's really the biggest issue that I have with it. Uh, It withholds a lot of information because it is telling its story in this really tangled up chronology. Um, it's, It's going out of order both with flashbacks and also using this very misleading editing where certain scenes that you think happened at the beginning of the movie actually happen at the end of the movie. Um, and it feels a little cheap. Uh, but the story as it stands is Kidman is uh, is a police officer. She has this old criminal rival uh, that is quote-unquote back. But where he went or what he's doing or what he did back in the day or even who he is is very much kept a secret. We just know that Kidman is very intent on tracking down this guy who is back. And when we see this criminal in flashbacks, we see him with this much larger group of people and all these characters and all these conflicts are just introduced in this very confusing, nonchalant way to the point where you don't really know what or who is important. Um, So I didn't even recognize the villain when I saw him. Um, Every bit of information I was being given just felt like another throwaway trope of the genre that was being thrown at me. Uh, Not really worth taking seriously, so I didn't take a lot of it seriously, and I was confused for a lot of it. Um, You find out exactly what Nicole Kidman did uh, to put her life in such a state at about the 75% mark of the movie. Um, And that's about the same time you find out that some of those early scenes were actually late scenes. Um, And the reveals do make for some nice shock moments, but it also makes everything leading up to the reveals very hard to get invested in because if there's information being withheld from you, the things that are unclear pretty uncompelling as well uh so ultimately destroyer is a fairly boring movie um it fits around dirty harry uh i think that kusama and kidman and their screenwriters maybe think they're doing something progressive by putting a woman in the center of the dirty harry narrative archetype but really this feels like it's going through the motions most of the time uh 
One thing that I do think is um, admirable about this is that Kidman's character has a lot more humanity than Clint Eastwood does in Dirty Harry, mostly because she's given more emotional moments with other characters that she has intimate relationships with. Um, like her daughter, notably, she has this strained relationship with her rebellious daughter. Um, daughter maybe is starting to get involved with this very crime-friendly crowd herself. And there are these mother-daughter conversations every so often that give Kidman a chance to actually make you feel something. Um, you know, she's this hardened character and, and her abil- inability to just break through her, her crusty, hardened veneer is occasionally very moving. Um, and I think that more of that probably would have helped this movie a lot. I, I don't know, maybe maybe this is a sex- sexist expectation, but I can imagine a more interesting subversion of the Dirty Harry narrative where uh, Kidman, Kidman's police work is balanced with her life as a mother. If you give those two things equal weight, there could be an interesting story to tell about uh, a, a, a female officer's inability to kind of jump in and jump out of the maternal role when she's around her kids. Um, but what we get ultimately is not very rich or interesting or exciting. Um, Nathan gave this movie one star on Letterboxd, and I haven't I haven't really talked to him in detail about why, but I can kind of see that rating. I didn't rate it that low. I gave it I gave it two, but I can understand this being a one star movie for people because it's kind of a nothing. And that's something that I'm sad to report because Kidman is one of my absolute favorite actors and I I really like Karen Kusama's Jennifer's Body as we talked about uh, back in October. So this was sad to not be good for me. I, I, I wish, I really wish it was better. Is this like the lowest out of all of Kusama's movies? Do you think this is the worst? Um, of the ones I've seen. I've not seen Girl Fight, which I hear is pretty good. Have you watched that? No, I haven't seen it. I want to because I also like Michelle Rodriguez a lot as an actress. And But yeah, I, I would definitely say I would rank this below... Uh, way below Jennifer's body, which I think is a lot more fun and a lot smarter than this. And I would rank it a little lower than The Invitation as well, which I kind of liked, but ultimately I thought Invitation was a very overrated movie around the time that it came out. Um, But this is more underwhelming than that. (laughs) It's a movie that uh, seemed kind of like it was getting hit with similar... uh thoughts out of tiff too um it it, it was a movie that was kind of met with yeah which was which is surprising because yeah you have nicole kidman in kind of this very bulky role and then you have uh which Mm -hmm. somebody who has spoken face to face with her it's karen kusama which is oh sorry yeah she it was the it's just her publicist came by and told us beforehand because i'm sure she gets that a lot and she has to like correct people yeah probably um but it, it's you have like these two names who are are you know pretty big names and it seems like a movie that kind of just came and went it, it's i honestly it came out in theaters this week and i forgot that it existed and I, w- I went in giving it the benefit of the doubt even though i knew that some of the reviews out of tiff were lukewarm because i really liked out of blue at tiff and that got some strong negative reactions and that's also kind of a police procedural with a woman in the center directed by a woman and i was like well maybe we're just not giving these stories enough credit um but again ultimately there's just not enough here to make it interesting gotcha um 
Well, Destroyer, it's in theaters now. Uh, it seems very destined to. Uh, It'll be on TNT. Away. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it'll be on TNT. So uh, look for that. Um, wow. Well, I'm trying to think where to go next. I'll talk about my movie, I guess, because yeah. I don't know really how much uh, mileage we're gonna get out. What What of better this, way to start uh, this movie than complete uncertainty as to where we are going? Yeah. <laughs> um. So this past week, I watched last year at Marion Bad. Uh. The Elaine Renee, the Elaine Renee movie, <laughs> um, and the the logline says it takes place in a chateau, an ambiguous story of a man and a woman who may or may not have met last year at Marion Bed, <laughs> which is true. That's all, all. It's true on all accounts on the on that description. Uh, this is a terrible movie to try to talk about. Yeah. Um, just like first level like this is a horrible horrible movie to try to talk about i like this the whole premise is like did did something happen or did it not happen so if if you're giving a plot synopsis good luck yeah exactly and so it just it it completely just kind of it was funny i was thinking about like the the the, like stupidity of christopher nolan trying to (laughs) remake this in a way and inception oh because like the whole the whole storyline it feels like with the wife character in inception feels like a like half-assed attempt at this um yeah this it's i know that people like to go oh this movie is like a fever dream this movie is like the epitome of a fever dream you have absolutely no idea what's going on at really any point and how any of these characters are related to one another or not related to one another there's only like three of them too yeah, there's the Delphine Seerig who uh, gets a lot of love on this podcast for uh, Jean Dielman as well as Donkey Skin as the woman. Uh, then you have the man who she may or may not have had an affair with, and her her the man who may or may not be her husband. I think it is her husband, but it's like it, I don't know who who knows. It, it I've I've never seen something that has shifted perspectives and like different planes so much like this is a movie that is constantly shifting the like where like where the movie is positioned at on like a it's just pivoting on a dime at just from like left and right it's it's insane the amount of switches this makes this movie i can see being one of the most infuriating experience for experiences for people like trying to watch something and get and glean anything from it but at the same time i found it to be um just uh fascinating and just uh, incredibly evocative because it's constantly playing with this notion of you know what what's the point of having some sort of plot like is the are you is, is what you're gleaning from this uh to for lack of a less pretentious phrase uh, motion picture this um some some sort of narrative that just kind of takes you th- beelining from point a to point b or do you want a 
or are you going to like fully commit to the concept that movies are dreams brought into reality and that uh, all, all of this movie is just dream logic and n- none of it makes sense, but that's okay because movies in essence are just kind of dreams projected onto a screen. And so by the, the by the mere fact of it just moving and shifting constantly and not i guess making any sense to a degree that's like what what else do you want out of a movie and i kind of i i, I have a hard time disagreeing with that because i think in a sense um you, you like that should be the the format that you're that you're kind of going to the movies with like you should be going attempting to just kind of uh make sense of whatever this uh you know whatever this concept is rather than just wanting to be spoon-fed some uh some sort of late you know blatant plot and uh this last year Mary in bed does not uh doesn't spoon feed you anything uh andrew i know you've seen this i mean did you kind of have a similar experience i i really like last year in mary and bad i watched it last year and i i think that i see it as a little less nonsensical than you zach i think this it's not quite like a david lynch film where you know you have surreal elements popping in and out and you know people who are kind of like monsters or spectral beings or anything like that. You know, we are in a hotel with three people and it's going to play by those rules. You know, it, it never steps outside of the realism of that conceit. Three people interacting in a hotel, right? The the Where it gets nonsensical is like who these people are, how they relate to each other, what they are doing. It, like you said, it keeps shifting what exactly the scenario is with these three people. And in a way, it's kind of like what Hong Sang-soo does, where he's really just making movies about people having conversations, but he messes with the editing and he, he messes with the, the continuity so much that you're left in this weird, abstract, uh, multi, like parallel universe space. Uh, the best review I can find of Last Year at Marion Bad by Neil Bahadur is uh, that it is interdimensional cinema and I, I think that even more so than what Hong Sang-soo does, Last Year in Marrying Bad is a perfect encapsulation of that. I think that um, it, it is really smart to include this one little element that feels like it's the skeleton key to the whole movie. There's that card game that the two men keep playing throughout the movie. And like, so you have this, these cards that are put on the table face down in sort of a pyramid shape. And the game is that the two men like take turns picking up cards and they pick up different numbers of cards based on how many are on the table. And there's this one guy who wins every single time. And the theory the other guy has is, well, there must be a trick to this. He knows how to win every time because he knows the trick. And if I figure out the trick, I'll be able to win every time. And if when you see this happen a couple of times, you think, oh, this movie is the card game. There's a trick to it. And if I figure out how this movie works and what the trick is, I will understand this movie. And, you know, I've sat on this movie for about a year. I don't know whether or not there actually is a trick to it or not, or if it is tricking me in making me suspect that there is a trick. But <laughs> I, I do know that I, I very much enjoy watching it because it is, is very hypnotic and, and has a lot of uh, 
just arresting images, uh, especially when, you know, he will freeze people and have the camera kind of move around them like they're mannequins in a, uh, in a department store or in a wax museum or something like that. Uh, these really imposing images of the architecture and the, the gardens outside the hotel are all just so striking that you don't necessarily need to know what's going on to appreciate what this movie looks like and what it's doing with the form. But it is also just very fascinating to think about and try to figure it out while while it's happening just as a thought exercise. Um so yeah, I'm really into this too. Yeah, to, and to your point about uh, real quickly about the uh, the card game, it, 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 it's it's almost like that's a almost making a commentary in another form of movie watching that there is because people do watch movies like they're puzzles to be deconstructed and oh god, like this is not this is not that you couldn't you yeah. could make a Tumblr account trying to break down what last year Marion Bad was about. Uh, the the last thing I wanted to say about this movie also, I'd love to make to like watch a series uh, of of films with this and The Shining and the Grand Budapest Hotel and Hotel by the River of like movies about uh, relatively vacant hotel spaces and the uh, the kind of ghostly paranormal uh feeling that you get living in these spaces for a time that are filled with so many distant memories of people like that's the spookiest like at times i was like legitimately frightened while watching last year at marion bad because you have these these uh images that uh of people that are just just so somewhat frightening because they're just like these like spectral beings that uh, you have these three characters that you're following and you know that these three characters uh, like you said are involved in somehow in some way into what you're supposed to be paying attention to but all of these other people that are there like you said have they like will freeze like wax figures and it's it's um it is it's a very arresting movie at times i really i really dug it uh yeah it is kind of like a big spooky location horror film at times and there's some some really uh jarring camera moves like it'll do a hard zoom uh and give you like a musical stinger or something almost like it's a, a modern day you know jump scare horror movie um and bre- breaking up the you know the mesmerizing um silence of of most of this movie so it is it is really dynamic in that way yeah it made me think a lot about memory it was <laughs> that's that's what i sat there and stewed on afterwards last year at marion bed uh it is on canopy if you would like to watch it they just added added it recently um well, we're gonna jump into i guess the housekeeping notes for the you know, listeners uh, of the podcast. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, you probably caught this past week. Uh, we had a Twitter pro- poll asking if uh, we started a Patreon, if you would be interested in supporting uh, the Patreon in, in order to, uh, in, in a way, support the show. Uh, we were uh, asking for, if, you know, what people thought about that concept, if that was something that we would, you know, like to do going forward. It seemed to be uh, 
we we didn't get as many <laughs> on the well, on the like, uh, we <laughs> on the positive. We weren't looking. We weren't looking for it to be majority yes, but we wanted to know how many yeses we got because even if we had a, a relatively small number of supporters on Patreon, that would do something fairly major for us, which would be allow us to pay our writers. Um, one of the things that I mentioned in the the best of 2018 writing um, uh, collection that I did around New Year's uh, was that everything on cinematary.com is a labor of love, right? The podcast we do, um, we're not getting we're not getting paid for anything there. There's no ad revenue coming in through the podcast. The writing is all done by us and people we know and people we have asked on the internet, and it's all on a volunteer basis and. We've done a lot of, of um, we've put out a lot of material, um, and I think that it's all really great material, and it's a shame that, you know, like so many outlets um, who put out film criticism and other forms of journalism, that we're sort of paying people in exposure, and we, you know, uh, Jessica and Zach are both journalists, and I know that you both see that as a problem in your industries. And so we want to do whatever small thing that we can to try and normalize the, the practice of paying writers, even if it's just a little bit. So we were wondering if uh, we would get enough supporters on Patreon to do that. And I think we're still kind of in a liminal space where we're not sure uh, if the answer to that question is yes or no. Um, but Zach, Jessica, what are, what are your further thoughts on this? I think the important thing to address is that we have previously said that we do not want your money, but we really want your money now. So that's something (laughs) that you should know. I'm just kidding. We don't want your money because we want to hoard it. We're just trying to be fair and kind to the people who do work for us. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think... So, like, when we first started Cinematary, we had no idea that we would even last this long. Um, And we had no idea, like, how much this thing would grow. Like, we went from just a bunch of college friends, like, doing a podcast to actually getting a pass to go to TIFF. And we have, you know, professional writers with us now. And we are building the writing that's on our website. And I think that we're moving into something new. And so with that growth also comes the idea of having people who are supporting us. And so I think that the Patreon thing would be really great. And so if you are listening to this and you agree with what we're saying and you would like some sort of extra content, then you should somehow reach out to us because we don't know that you even exist sometimes. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I mean, we know the numbers. We see the analytics that there are lots of people listening, but we just often don't hear from those people, right? For anybody unfamiliar with Patreon, that's generally how it works. You pledge to, to give a certain amount of money each month, usually a small fee, like I think we were thinking $5, um, and you get some sort of extra bonus content on top of what everybody else gets for free. And we're not totally sure what that would be if we did the Patreon. It might be just more movie reviews, maybe movie reviews of movies that you guys requested. Um, maybe it would be us talking about movie news. Maybe it would just be us shooting the shit or talking about current events. It could take many forms and it would depend on what people want it to be. 
but again, that would require us hearing from listeners as to what what sort of extra content would make a Patreon like pledge worthwhile because we're not really sure what that is. Yeah, like before this episode started, I ate some cup noodles. And so do you want to hear some ASMR with me eating cup noodles? <laughs> For five I don't think anyone <laughs> wants that. No one wants that. You don't know that. I already put $5 in the system for that. <laughs> like it was like a like it was a candy machine. I just put it in there and I was like, "One Jessica eating cup noodles, please." Exactly. There you go. Zach, you were about to say something. I think now. it's uh it, I I understand that it's a uh it's a difficult um request to make because i think that we live in a very saturated media environment where you can get any sort of content for free without having to pay anything and so having to pay something to listen to or or watch this um or read this might seem uh off-putting to people and i understand that um we wouldn't be putting anything behind a paywall that's currently free no it wouldn't be a paywall it would it would be you would still be getting all of this for free but i think uh just the just the pledge for money is always something that um can kind of become very souring but i i think that also this is something in order to uh, like Andrew said, we have this um, we have this uh, wonderful staff of writers who are are really, you know, dedicating time in order to put in a substantial amount of work into these reviews. And you know, I I it I think that we're the the quality of them is is not you know incredibly below a lot of the other. Uh, blogs and websites that i read like i think that we have some interesting minds who are working and that's kind of the pitch that we gave them that this can be kind of a launching pad to to bigger things we hope and at the same time though we would like to reward them because we want to make sure that they are accustomed to a system that rewards them for their hard work and is not just using it in order for free in order to gain better things which is not this is not at all what we're doing we're not we aren't buzzfeed uh mining community uh you know content in order to better our website while not you know while laying off our writers like we're it's if we got this money it would all be filtered into helping the writers that we have uh you know feel recognized for their work and so i think that's the kind of thing to think about it's not we're not looking at it in order to uh you know purchase all of these uh fine things it's it's some it's we're completely doing it in order to uh remind the people that we have writing these these intelligent incredibly smart people that we have writing that uh their work is valued. And I think that that is something that needs to be um, kept of mind in, in, in a you know media landscape that is like it is in 2019. And I, I understand people's hesitance to want to support something like Patreon because I think in general people are strapped for cash and why would they pay money to something that they're already getting for free? Um, I mean, I there are tons of YouTube creators and, and podcasters I listen to who ask for Patreon money all the time, and I've never given to them, right? So maybe this is me being a hypocrite by asking for other people to support us. Um, 
But also, you know, like Zach said, I, there's so much thoughtful work, I think, being done on SimRetire.com. Like, if you go read Michael O'Malley's review of Wreck-It Ralph 2, or if you go read Lydia Creech's review of On Chesil Beach, and you think to yourself, this person got nothing for making this awesome, smart thing... I don't know. That's that's kind of sad to me. And like I said, we want to normalize a situation where that, or normalize a um, a platform where that is not not the way things operate. But anyways, we're just kind of seeking feedback from y'all if you want to send us an email or send us a, a DM on Twitter or something, just to let us know what your thoughts on the whole situation are. Um, whether or not you would be interested in supporting on Patreon for extra content, how much you'd be interested in supporting with, what you would want in terms of extra content. These are things that we're all kind of unsure about. Yeah, remember remember in Zach's ad when he said that we're not clamoring for your dollars? Well, guess what? We're clamoring for your dollars. No, I, I, I said that we didn't want to become podcasting moguls, and that is a lie. We're 100% going to become podcasting moguls. It's going to be Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla and the Cinematary people. Because that's the company I want to be a part of. Yeah, we all have day jobs. We all intend anyway. on keeping our day jobs. No one is trying to turn Cinematary into a profitable venture. We are we are just considering the the possibilities uh, that of of different ways to make it a more fair, um, like I don't know, um, platform for people to to publish work. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm repeating myself, that's but right. that that's the basic quandary. So slide into our DMs, everybody, at Cinematary. <laughs> or email us at Zach at Cinematary.com. Just listen to the ad that's about to come up in like 15 seconds and lie to you and say we don't want your money. The one that says so, we don't want your money. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break uh, and lie to you real quick, and then we will be talking about Rush Hour 2 in part two after this. Hello, Cinematary listeners. This is Andrew Swafford with an important message during this break in the show. Cinematary would like you to know that we do not want your money, and we don't want to place ads in the show at this time. That's not why we do this. We do it because we enjoy each other's company and because we want to bring you our pure, unadulterated opinions on the world of cinema. However, there are a few things you can do to help out the show that we would greatly appreciate. Firstly, leave us a review on iTunes, preferably a positive one, uh, because the algorithm gods tell us that reviews increase our podcast exposure. Secondly, send us a tweet at Cinematary, or better yet, send an email to Cinematary at Yahoo.com so that we can hear from you guys for a change. Maybe you think I'm an idiot for not liking Singing in the Rain, or maybe you have a suggestion of a movie that you really want to hear our opinion on. Regardless, let us know your thoughts, and we'll read them out and respond to them on future episodes of Cinematary. Finally, please share the show with friends and members of your family who you think would enjoy listening to and participating in our film discussions we bring to you guys every week. So to recap, uh, review, send us your thoughts through Twitter and email, and share with your friends and family. We would truly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show.
of episode 232 of Cinematary. In this part, we'll be continuing our Jackie Chan series with Rush Hour 2, 2001 film. Uh, we have pushed Andrew out of a window, and he has crashed into a taxi, and so he's not here anymore. That's a reference for you uh, Rush Hour 2 heads. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even get it. I totally forgot that that even happened. It happened in the movie. It was the climactic scene. Rush Hour 2 is directed by Brett Ratner and written by Jeff Nathanson. It stars Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker, John Lone, Rosalind Sanchez, and Zhang Zihi. Its plot follows Chief Inspector Lee, Jackie Chan, and Detective James Carter, Chris Tucker, who go to Hong Kong on vacation, only to be thwarted by a murder case involving two U.S. custom agents after a bombing at the U.S. Embassy. Lee suspects that the crime is linked to the triad crime lord, Ricky Tan. Aside from Car- Chan and Lee... Uh, no, Lee is the other, is the character that Jackie Chan plays. Aside from Chan and Tucker, no other characters or actors from the first Rush Hour film appear. However, on the DVD release of the film, a deleted scene featured Philip Baker Hall reprising his role of Captain Deal from the first film. Carter speaks with the captain about his stay in Hong Kong and his involvement in the triad case. Brett Ratner states that while he would have loved to include the scene in this final cut, uh, it did not advance the plot. So it got cut out. During the falling, which really, what what advances the plot in, in this movie? During the falling money scene, some of the prop cash blew out of the uh, out of a window. Bystanders thought the cash was real and kept it. Some actually spending it. The fake cash was so realistic, the studio was prohibited from making it ever again. Prop gaming chips were produced for this film, ranging in dom- denominations from one dollar to a million dollars. These are much sought after by both film fans and gaming collectors. Zhang Ziyi only speaks two words of English in the film, being her famous line, some apple, as she didn't know the language at the time of filming. Jackie Chan served as her translator on the set. Lelos Griffin, uh, Rush Hour score composer, reprises scoring duty for Rush Hour 2. According to him, the music for Rush Hour 2 is completely different from Rush Hour. The first 20 to 30 seconds of the main title is a reprise of the music from Rush Hour. But that's it. The composer stated that director Brett Ratner had requested a, quote, symphonic score, which he incidentally found suitable for Rush Hour 2. Quote, for the sequel, he asked me to do a symphonic score. It was bigger than life, like an epic score. I ignored the comedy. The actors took care of that. I played to the chases and the danger. It's a serious score in the sense of an epic score like Raiders of the Lost Ark or an Errol Flynn film. Also, you must realize that the symphony orchestra allows many more possibilities. Most Mozart didn't need a rhythm section to drive. I was able to create a lot of energy without the use of drums and electric guitars and all that. I just wanted to read that because that was the most overbearing quote I've ever heard about a score to a movie. I love it. What is this guy even talking about? (laughs) Before its August 3rd release, Rush Hour 2 premiered on July 26, 2001, on board the United Airlines Flight 1 from Los Angeles to Hong Kong, which was renamed the Russia Hour Express. In 2001, Wesley Morris for the San Francisco Gate said, The movie, lightly directed by Rush Hour visionary Brett Ratner, simply takes the first movie's shtick global, moving from Los Angeles to Hong Kong and still having fun with the idea that to the rest of the world, Chris Tucker epitomizes America. Time Magazine in 2001 said the film seems content to rely on the formula that could, small sigh, extend for a few more sequels. Jackie kicks butt, Chris kicks sass. 
Roger Ebert in 2001 said, Rush Hour earned untold millions of dollars inspiring this sequel. The first film was built on a comic relationship between Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker as odd couple cops from Hong Kong and Los Angeles. It was funny because hard work went into the screenplay and the stunts. It was not funny because Chris Tucker is not funny whenever he opens his mouth, something he proves abundantly in Rush Hour 2, where his endless rants are like an anchor around the ankles of the humor. Jackie Chan complained, I hear, that the Hollywood filmmakers didn't give him time to compose his usual elaborately choreographed stunts in Rush Hour 2, preferring shorter bursts of action. Too bad Brett Ratner, the director, didn't focus instead on shortening Tucker's dialogue scenes. Tucker plays an L.A. cop who, on the evidence of this movie, is a race-fixated motor mouth who makes it a point of being as loud, offensive, and ignorant as he possibly can be. On that note, what better note to shift the conversation than uh roger ebert's takedown of chris tucker um yeah let's talk a little bit about rush hour too uh this is the first of the american movies of jackie chan's that we're, we're going to talk about really it's the only american movie that we're going to talk about uh his next one is a co-production uh with india but this one i feel like at least the rush hour franchise is probably the epitome of jackie chan's move from from china to america in terms of movies uh we talked a little bit about uh his move last week where he was trying to make the move and it didn't seem to really uh take off because he he kind of lacked that uh he didn't have the 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 hold over the movies that he really had the, the the power in order to kind of construct the movies in the way that he wanted to in in Hong Kong in America, and so uh, it seems like Rush Hour Two is kind of an example of that. Um, Jessica, what what do you, what have your uh, impressions been of Jackie Chan's uh, earlier movies and kind of how they relate to to this movie? So I watched Drunken Master and. Technically, I was supposed to be on that episode, but my internet didn't get set up in my new apartment yet, so I could not be on it. But I really, really liked that movie. Um, I really hated Rush Hour 2. I think that it's absolutely terrible. And I think that you can tell that Jackie Chan didn't get to do his long, elaborate action sequences because... Like, any time he got to do them in Rush Hour 2, I was really excited. I was like, okay, this is what I came here for. And then it would move on into just Chris Tucker, like, talking about something. And I was like, I want this movie to end. It is very bad. And so I think that you can tell that Jackie Chan kind of got wrapped up in the American Hollywood system. And he wasn't able to do what he actually wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, you you can tell immediately just by watching the kind of how the fight scenes, uh, kind of are laid out. I mean, the, the it, one it's because Brett Ratner directs these movies like I don't know, like a basic cable television program. So not there's there, when Wesley Morris said it was lightly directed. That's a, an apt, you know. You know, association with Brett Ratner. I mean, this is really very lightly directed. There's not much going on here. And so whenever these action sequences with Jackie Chan take place, it's just 
especially after you watch the kind of kinetic energy of something like drunken master where you can uh, every every punch every kick seems very precise in the location that he's wanting it to go just watching these fights even when he's like moving around you can tell um the choreography is not nearly as complex it's more just um, he, he's almost giving kind of a box and it's 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 interesting in a way because he's like trying to do so much within the small amount of space he's allowed but at the same time it it, it just lacks that uh that focus and that kineticism that that something like drunken master or police story or any of the other movies that we've talked about in this series kind of had. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because my first exposure to Jackie Chan are the Rush Hour movies. And I think that most people, for most people in America, that's true too. And I only recently watched some of his earlier movies because of the series. And it's crazy to me the difference because when you see him in an American movie for the first time, you're like, this is really cool. Like, and you think that that's all that there is, like that's all that he has to offer. And then you watch some of his earlier movies and you're like, oh, like there is a whole lot more to what he can do when he's allowed to do what he wants to do. Yeah, exactly. And it, and. I don't, and we can kind of get into this now with the rush hour movies because it is built on this kind on the kind of uh you know buddy cop lethal weapon i saw one review of the first one calling it like a, a lethal weapon ripoff with uh chris tucker playing you know a bad impression of eddie murphy it's true I mean, it, it, it is. It's it's kind of trying to do this like Beverly Hills Cop thing, uh, Beverly Hills Cop mixed with Lethal Weapon thing where you have this odd couple kind of bouncing off each other. Um, and it's kind of depressing that the humor for this movie is so baked and just it. You know, it's it's one thing to be like, it's just racial stereotypes. But this is like the most lazy, blatantly lazy and just boring racial stereotypes like at like at times in rush hour two uh the jokes that are supposed to be landing by chris tucker is him just saying like chopsticks or sushi instead of something else because he's in hong kong like it's it's just and so i'm i'm curious you know you you have this uh non-white you know two leading people in a you know in a movie which is which is it's unique in in the early 2000s when this is when this movie is coming out but at the same time it's just like laden with very 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 lazy racial stereotypes yeah it's so wasted like the fact that they have two people of color like as leads is so wasted because like they treat each other bad like they don't really understand like if if somehow their relationship was to understand each other's cultures and respect that then it would be good but really they're just like poking fun at each other but in like kind of terrible like, ways why are these people friends exactly like, yeah like why are these guys friends <laughs> like i don't like the fact that uh it, i mean in this movie kind of takes place right after the first movie in terms of like how they set up the narrative like why are these guys still hanging out with each other they don't seem to I mean, literally, Chris Tucker just yells at Jackie Chan, and Jackie Chan seems to barely understand him, and they kind of 
take it as like he's you know it's a it's a language barrier but i'm like no it's because this guy is just yelling at him it's like an assault at, at, at times right it's because he's not listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth and they try to make that a joke like nobody he like yells at him all the time like nobody understands what you're talking about and it's like actually everybody understands what he's talking about you're just rude like i really really hate chris tucker's character like in this film and i guess just in the rush hour like series in general because like to me he reminds me of jar jar binks because i just want him to stop talking and i don't understand why he's still talking but like all of the race stuff in this movie obviously very terrible he like calls he calls jackie chan a monkey at one point he tells him to use his tiger teeth i mean there's just like all kinds of absolutely horrible things that i think to myself how did someone get away with writing this down on paper and putting it into a script and like actually making it but like not only is it terrible in regards to race but i think that this movie hates women i think that it absolutely hates women and like both characters so like chris tucker his character throughout the movie is constantly hitting on women and making them uncomfortable so you have the i guess she's an agent or something and he like starts out hitting on her on this boat and telling her like oh this is my boat i own it we can go into the bathroom right now to bang if you want to and is like just he and he says that to all of the women there's a scene in a massage parlor where he's just like looking at all the women and jackie chan's like hey we got to do this mission because you know like that's our job and he's all like hey never get in front of a black man at a buffet line and I was like, did you just refer to all of these women as a buffet line? Okay, that's really bad. And in addition to that... Well, it's just like, it's, a, it's such a poor joke structure because like the the joke is that it is 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 foisted upon the women in this in this case you know it's not like it's something where he says something demeaning to the women and then they get back at him at, at some point you know or you're like it comes back to to bite him in some sort of like kind of slapsticky way no in this movie it's just like they're just he's just constantly demeaning and it's like uh, and so after yeah by the end of the movie it's just tiring i mean it literally culminates in him fighting the uh zhang ziyi character and calling her a crazy ass bitch and, and running off so right like she gets she gets wrapped up her character specifically gets wrapped up in the crazy bitch trope where it's like she has no she has no other characteristics other than the fact that she's a crazy ass bitch like there there is nothing about her that matters besides that and she even gets like uh pitted against the other attractive woman character and just you just kind of pops up for really I don't know, like, I'm trying to find, a, like, a validating reason why she's, like, a part of the movie. She's, like, this kind of double agent person for, I don't know. She's I'm not in the sure. movie so that she can kiss Jackie Chan at the end. Like, that's that's the whole reason why she's in this film. And also to show her boobs and walk around in her underwear. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's difficult to, uh... 
Like, it, this this feels very systematic of, like, the late 90s, early 2000s kind of action genre. And like I said, it's disappointing. You know, it's 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 easy for us as uh, as people now to like look back and be like, oh, this is a st- these movies are like super sexist. But I, I I I go back again to like the the structuring of the jokes, and you can tell that you kind of have these deeply. I mean, it it, it because you have somebody like Brett Ratner directing all three of these. A you know deeply misogynistic you know piece of shit person if you just google brett ratner and and you can see why brett ratner is a terrible horrible human being who hates women and so you can kind of just feel that exuberating through these movies and it's 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 super disappointing because you know we in the previous episodes especially with like police story we talked about how uh jackie's character was like really was very dismissive and kind of rude to the Maggie Chung character and the 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 kind of dynamic between them and the thing that separates that from like the rush hour movies is that you know again the it it, you have like the scene in in police story where Jackie is is ranting about how uh, about his relationship with Maggie Chung and is going like in and out of the shower and the other uh, woman is there and then Maggie Chung's character is also in the like like the the whole setup of the of the bit is that Jackie is looking like a buffoon at all times and it seemed you kind of get that throughout the movies that we watched I mean Legend of Drunken Master kind of does the same thing like the joke is never on the person it's always being kind of kind of worked off of the character usually the jackie character and is is working back around and with these movies it's just maliciously attacking everybody else and like like we like we said before you have these uh people of color in the lead roles but like it's shockingly also like a super racist movie at times it's just it's such a weird mix weird cocktail of like it does some things that you're like okay like it's it's different but at the same time it's also like if you had two white guys in the lead roles for this movie it would you know like it would probably be the same thing am i you know is that crazy no i think that that's true but i just man when i was watching it i was cringing so hard i was like wait a second i don't remember this in this movie at all it did not age well that's for sure yeah and it's 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 one of those things that like you're trying to find you're trying not to just like look at it with 2019 brain but at the same time I, I just keep harping this point but like it is just like there's a way to structure the comedy where it's not just completely demeaning to the one uh brand of you know the one per like the one group of people that is also in this movie as well it's just getting completely uh ragged on the entire time i, I kind of want to go back to uh the the action setup in this movie because we've we talked really at length in the other three episodes about how uh, about how Jackie is able to choreograph and structure this action and how it really does have this effect that uh, I talked the last week and I want to apologize now 
for the three weeks of starting my conversation about the movie with it made it made total non it was just total nonsense but then you know i kind of picked up what was going on because i would happily go back to the to the perceived nonsense rather than having to watch a another one of the rush hour movies where there is a structured plot uh allegedly that goes along a you know an abc path because that i don't want to watch that i would rather watch the nonsense of the legend of drunken master where at least uh, you know, interesting choreography and such is happening. Um, this is such a bo- like at the end of the day, uh, sexist and racist stuff aside, it's an incredibly boring movie. It's so so boring. It's just it's aggressively boring. It's like it's just like constantly teasing you with how boring it is. Like I I don't know. Like it. Like I never was like this is like outright bad i was just like this is straining me with boredom (laughs) i don't know know how better to explain it like the twist or whatever is like that ricky tan is alive like he has a fake death moment where he gets shot on the boat and then falls into the water and you're like oh yeah that guy's dead and then he like pops back up at the end and i was just like oh ricky tan's back but i didn't really care about it i was like Oh, okay. I, I mean, guess. I mean, in all in all transparency, I was looking at Twitter while he died, and I didn't even see him die. And so then, when they said that he did die, and he did the whole the whole reveal, I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. I didn't even remember that, so that's cool. He's back. It changed nothing. It was it was nothing. It was dumb. Yeah. And I- why was Don Cheadle in this movie also? Can I just take a moment? Like, there's a whole kung fu scene with Don, scene with Don Cheadle at some point. I just, it was, threw me off. Yeah, that was a little weird. But I just was trying to think of just some sort of overarching, like, theme for this movie or just something, just something that you can get out of it. And I've got nothing. Like, I really, I really, like, can't come up with anything. No, because, like, other buddy cop stuff, like, you have to, like, have the... You can at least be like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of dumb, but the characters in it are fun to kind of hang out with and, and watch them interact. And that's not true because Jackie Chan's being, like, he has, like, anchors on his legs trying to, you know perform you know cool you know well choreographed stunts and do interesting things and he's has anchors because of you know the hollywood system and then he has chris tucker yelling at him so it's just like i don't know it's a painful experience watching you know trying to work through this and then the third movie roman polanski shows up and that's a whole other can of worms that uh you know just just hope so it's just like there's so much like questionable uh so much questionable stuff in the Rush Hour franchise. It's like, why are these Rush Hour movies so problematic? <laughs> I a, don't understand. Like, just thinking about the, the yeah, like, because on the outside you can go, all right, you got Brett Ratner, who is deeply uh, just a horror, like I emphasize, just a horrible person. And then you dig into it, you got... Roman Polanski popping up in the third movie. I'm not going to watch that movie, but it's he's in that. So that's a just that's a red flag already. And he and he alleged I guess there's a scene where he's like and wants to inspect their butts. So that's a hard, already, you know. Uh, oh, and then you have why is Jeremy Piven playing this like uh like stereotypical gay character at like a uh, Gianni Versace? I don't know. Anyway, uh 
and then you have the <laughs> rush hour one and two which are just deeply inc- just incredibly just they're just like they're so boring they're just it's just such it's aggressive it's a tnt movie it's it's a tnt movie like it's a movie that makes no sense that you put on at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a tuesday and you catch it while you're waiting in line at a dentist office like uh, that's about the extent of the rush hour franchise it's like, do you want to see Rush Hour and Rush Hour 2? Tune into TNT. Do you want to see Destroyer? Apparently, Andrew also says tune into TNT. <laughs> <laughs> We're really ragging on so TNT this in this is, episode. This is where you can get all of your good movies, guys. Tune into TNT. Yeah, TNT. <laughs> Check out TNT. You got Rush Hour 1 and 2, and then we'll move into Destroyer. I don't see really Destroyer as a TNT movie. I see that as like a... Uh, like an FX movie or something like it's actually rush hour is an FX movie as well. I, I need Nathan here to go through the different channels and what movie destroyer would be. I'm trying to think of what destroyer, what channel that would be on. It would be like on an HBO, like East, like one of the like HBO two um, Cinemax, like one of those, like it, it would have enough pedigree to be there, but like rush hour and rush hour two, you've seen in a bargain bin. So it's definitely on TNT. It would even it's slink over to tbs every once in a while honestly this converse this part of the conversation is more interesting than the actual movie is is placing where this movie would fit on a cable channel the saddest thing about this movie is that i love jackie chan like i think that he's i do too i think he's a cool guy and like his work is so he works so hard like in drunken master he gets like lit on fire a lot like he works so hard and he has broken so many bones for his passion and then he got like roped into this mess it's bad it's so bad it's 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 a and it's a stupid movie go ahead yeah and the the other thing is is that the the movie like made me like him a little bit less like in the movie because you have like and I don't even think that Jackie Chan is a sexist person but in the movie like he's licking his lips and telling that woman like while she's undressing he's like oh slow down baby and he's licking his lips and like that's the grossest and most uncomfortable I've ever felt, like, while looking at Jackie Chan. I was like, oh, no. What have they done to you? It was bad. It's so bad. So pretty much the Rush Hour franchise does not play well in uh, the current climate. <laughs> it's, it's... No, and it can take. I mean, if you get wrapped up in that, it, if you get wrapped up in the rush hour system, you're going down. Especially if you're a woman, because it hates women. Yeah, that, I mean, so again, go. Google Brett Ratner, Olivia Munn, and you'll see why this franchise, which was all directed by him, why he hates women. That's the takeaway from this. Uh, Jessica, do you have any final thoughts on Rush Hour 2 before we uh, dump it back in its bargain bin? Rush Hour 2 is garbage. And also, I really hope that Kung Fu Yoga is is better because I want us to oh, end. Man. I want us to end on a positive note. Like this was. Have this you seen was, the trailer for that? No. <laughs> I mean, there's a scene where Jackie is in a car with a lion. 
and <laughs> it's gonna be bonkers. And it's I've already looked at reviews that said uh, film critics in India like absolutely hated that movie oh, because they thought no. it was so racist. So we're gonna get back into this discussion. I feel like next week. Okay. Well, if it ends on a bad note, we'll still end it positively by saying, "Hey, why don't you go check out his earlier stuff?" Because that's where it's at. That's the takeaway, guys. Come on. Go check out the... That's the takeaway. Also, this is the second episode that you and I have done together, Zach, where it was just us. And our other episode was Audition, which is a movie that loves women and is way better. So if you like this dynamic that's going on here, listeners, then you should check out that episode because it's a better movie. And also, it loves women, so... Check that and one out. Sub- and, and subscribe to us on Patreon, where we'll have a segment where Zach and Jessica uh, shift to uh, movies that like one specific gender more than the other one. And uh, that's a series that we're going to do on the Patreon. $5. Exactly. $5, everybody. <laughs> that's going to be one of the series. We just talk about movies that hate one of the genders and really likes the other one. Um, well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary at Twitter uh, with handle at cinematary and on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash cinematary where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Next week, like Jessica said, we will be concluding our Jackie Chan series with 2017's Kung Fu Yoga. Uh, if you want to catch it beforehand, it's on Netflix. It seems like it's going to be wild. Um just a heads up, uh, we will be doing our next series after this one. Uh, I'll go ahead and just uh, break the news on that one so people can kind of start looking forward to it. It'll be our, we'll continue our actor series with uh, Pam Greer. We're going to be looking at the films of, some of the films of Pam Greer uh, to kind of correspond and parallel with uh, the Jackie Chan film. So looking forward to that. We'll talk a little bit more about what we have in store for that series next week. But until then, thank you guys for listening. Uh, let's go and uh, fish and Andrew out of this taxi and uh, head out of here.